Welcome back to the Dispatch Podcast, the official podcast of the Battle of Franklin Trust. It's your host, Joseph Freaky, sitting alongside co-host Sheila Mulliken. We are back to discuss, I think, one of the most fascinating families of the three that we get to talk about. We're not supposed to rank them, but I, no, I think that you they know, have a... <laughs> each family has its own atmosphere, but I think uh, this is one of the feistier families. They're, um, they're kind of fun. They are certainly a lot of fun. Of course, we are talking about the Shares family from Ripavilla. Uh, of course, that's the site that the Battle Franklin Trust took over management of back in May of 2021. Been there for about a year and uh, some 20 some odd days. Mm-hmm. But in that time, we've uncovered a lot about this family that uh, was either previously unknown or was all around just forgotten. And so some of the things in finding are comical. Some of the things are disheartening. Some things are encouraging. But I, th- I think the one thing that they all have in common is that every single thing that we find out about this family is just downright interesting, interesting. and there's not other way to get around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we pick up, starting out uh, just in general terms of who the Shares family are and where they come from. So Nathaniel Shares third was born in Maryland, but his he and his family relocate to North Carolina. There he marries Sarah Rush, and they begin their family there. Uh, he accumulates a good bit of land, but in 1810 he decides to do what a lot of young men are doing at that point and sell Heads everything and move west. <laughs> so they arrive in Murray County in 1811, just about four years after that county was actually formed. And so they're some of the earliest settlers. They buy about 300 acres to begin with and build a house and keep having babies and keep buying land and start farming. They, of course, brought a number of enslaved people with them as they made that trip because they knew there was going to be land to be cleared, house to be built farming to be done, and they're growing corn and cotton pretty much right out the gate. And in 1818, of course, Nathaniel and Sarah have another son, Nathaniel. Can't give them any credit for creativity, of course, <laughs> but Nathaniel shares the fourth, is born, and he is eventually going to become the owner of Ripavilla, and mm-hmm. he'll be what brings it into the Ripavilla that we know and that we operate today and the house that we tour through because, of course, Nathaniel and Sarah's home uh, after Nat leaves it, it burns in 1876, and it's plowed over and just sort of off to the side. But it's still on the year's map, which is always so impressive. This is a map of the county. You can still see both houses, and mm-hmm. you see NF Shears and NF Shears right there. It's just a, it's a, it's a fascinating little capsule there to see both of them side by side. But Nat uh, will marry an 1840 woman, a woman named Susan McKissick. These are the two. I think uh, the easiest way that I can relate them is like it's – they're the powerhouses of Spring Hill. Mm-hmm. If you look at a map of the county, it's like property owners, shares McKissick, shares McKissick, mm-hmm. and then throw in Peters just for good measure. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, surrounded out. But they, they marry in 1841, kind of bringing that, uh, you know, it's, it's like, a, like a union almost, bringing mm-hmm. everyone together. Uh, and then pretty soon afterwards have their first daughter, and then eventually they'll move over to the side of the property that we're now on. Mm-hmm. Front, and they choose that part of the property to build their big house on, partly because of the Columbia Turnpike, partly because of the Nashville Decatur Railroad. Both of those give them ready access to transport, which is pretty good. And, um, you know, it also gives high visibility for this big, beautiful house that they're about to build. And they start by building a kitchen, and they live above that kitchen while they're constructing their big Greek Revival-style house. The house is finished, we think, somewhere around 1852, probably, because somewhere right about that time, Nat's older brother Martin decides he wants one just like it. And so we actually have his contract that frequently says something like, you know, like at Nat's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, do it like they did at Nat's. Mm-hmm. This yeah. door, this kind of... Uh, Mantle, whatever, like at Nat's house. So. Yeah. 
and that letter is in 1853, so certainly it's before then. Yeah. But no, that's a fascinating little bit there too, because it, it it's almost like that sibling rivalry: who's mm-hmm. going to have the best house? Mm-hmm. Well, if he's got to base everything off of what Nat has, clearly Nat had already begun with the better of the two. Uh, but Nat acquires an immense amount of land. By 1860, he's got a thousand acre farm, mm-hmm. uh, actually a little bit more than a thousand acres, and he's growing primarily cotton. Uh, and there's 75 enslaved there by that point in time as well. There's a cotton gin on the farm. I think in 1860 they produce 89 bales of cotton, so that's a lot. And by then, the, their family's complete. They've had four children altogether. Jenny's the oldest, and then two boys, Thomas and William, and then another little girl at the end, so bookend girls, I suppose. Sally's the only one that's born in that new house. Mm-hmm. He's pretty proud about that. He includes that little detail. And, and that's the one thing, too, that's been great about Nat is where we've got a lot of letters from Fountain Branch Carter and Moscow Carter, and we can kind of piece together the Carter family that way. Sort of less so with the McGavicks. There's a lot there, but there's a plethora of information out there. Yeah, Nat wrote everything shares. down, Yeah, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> I, I guess he's, he wanted to be remembered, and I, that's certainly his personality. He comes across as the type of guy that he wants to be remembered. He's the he's the guy that walks into a room and lights up the room and also lights it up equally the same as when he walks out, I think. That's his kind of <laughs> his personality. But he, he is a very memorable uh, uh, port, uh, part of the tour and part of the story. The it, tricky thing about Nat is you can't always be completely sure that he's telling you the truth. His <laughs> A descendant of his has written about him some, and he, he says uh, Nat created his own legend, and that's probably a, way, a good way of saying it. You know, there's always a grain of truth in there, but if embellishing the story makes it better, he did never seem to have a problem doing that. So I don't think that that's ever been the problem for Nat. I think Nat is the type that, if he was going to go fishing, he always caught the biggest fish, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Um, so 1860 comes along following the election of Abraham Lincoln as the president, and then we'll start to see the secession crisis. December uh-huh. 1860, South Carolina secedes from the Union. Then between the beginning of January and the 28th of January, five other states are right there. And then Tennessee, by February, has an opportunity to vote. Nat claims in his letters that he voted against secession the first time, but then in the second vote, come June of 1861, he votes for secession. Then he goes off to war and joins the 3rd Tennessee Infantry. Uh, and, of course, we've got a book at the very end that we'll uh, kind of allude to and recommend for you to read a little bit more on the 3rd Tennessee. But Nat leaves behind his wife, four children, 1,000 acres, mm-hmm. big, massive, beautiful house, 75 slaves, and the life that he knows, the world that he knows, and goes off to war. And he's, I think he's even asked to raise a company for the 3rd Tennessee, and he does it in two days. Wow. Which he's tells pretty, you a lot uh, about Nat. Pretty influential, yeah. Yeah, he can Charismatic, perhaps. Yeah, People walk and, up, say, I'm going off to war. You want to come? And then somehow he has enough sway and enough influence to convince someone that that's a good idea. Uh-huh. And then they just, they just go. And they like to major. He and John Calvin Brown, yeah. uh, both will be prominent figures in the uh, in the story. But Brown here at, at Franklin will charge right through the Carter Garden. Uh, but Brown is the commander, Nat is the major, and then they are sent to Camp Cheatham in Robertson County. They start to learn how to become soldiers, and then they go off and they fight in some of their first engagements. Of course, Nat will be captured at Fort Donaldson pretty quickly thereafter, February 62. And he goes to Fort Warren in Boston, interestingly, imprisoned there at the same time as Moscow Carter and Randall W. McGavick. And mm-hmm. 
Randall even tells us in a letter or in his diary entry rather that he got into an argument with, with Nat, Nat Shares. Uh, Nat apparently thought he was more Confederate than Randall W. McGavick was kind of impugning his um, just how Confederate <laughs> Randall W. McGavick was, and so they had a little. I, I think I think they both put on the uniform and both ended up becoming prisoners. So I think. Uh-huh. Uh, the question was settled. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty much proven. Um, but he's having a high old time in Boston, uh, hosting dinner parties, taking occasional excursions into the city until there's a prisoner swap, and he's sent back home. He gets back home. But in, in that time, though, there's been an army that has marched right by on their way down mm-hmm. to fight in the Battle of Shiloh. The uh, General Don Carlos Buell's Federal Army coming out of Kentucky through Tennessee. And when they get to Columbia, can't get across the Duck River. We'll see that problem again Mm -hmm. in about two years. Uh, But in 1862, Buell's men are stuck on the north bank of the Duck. And right out front in the dooryard of Ripavilla camps the 41st Ohio. Then as a captain, Colonel Emerson Opdyke in that regiment. And then who's headquartered inside the house, but Company B's, you know, the person that they're assigned to be the bodyguard for. Uh, General William Bull Nelson go mm-hmm. on to some fame in Kentucky for having been killed by uh, the other Jefferson Davis, Jefferson C. Davis. Uh, we'll shoot him dead after a brawl between the two of them. But nevertheless, very small chapter in all of this is that Bull Nelson makes his headquarters there. And Nat's not happy about that. We have some oh, of his letters home. <laughs> He's infuriated because he hears that you know S- Susan's been run out of her bedroom, possibly out of the house in general. They may be back in you know, staying with Sarah on the back of the property. Uh, He's concerned that smallpox may be in the um, army and they've been exposed to that. So he, we have a number of those letters he's writing back and forth and he's mad as a hornet. But then they're gone fairly Mm -hmm. quickly. Uh, So maybe he, his anger might've influenced it, but who knows? He's Mm -hmm. gone. The federal army is gone. They're going down, of course, fighting the battle of Shiloh. And then Nat comes home shortly thereafter by, We'd like to think he's there by the by the fall of '62, certainly, if not by the winter of '62, and he walks back into a world that is is largely very familiar. Nothing has really changed yet. Of course, the big change is coming January the first of '63. We'll start to see the Emancipation Proclamation going into effect. We'll see a lot of social changes for Nat, and then, and a lot of um, I think political changes around the entire country, and then. The Confederate Army shows up in Spring Hill, and Nat is there. He's on exchange. He's got an an oath not to rejoin the Confederate Army uh, until he's been exchanged. That exchange must come through, and he rejoins, and he'll fight with uh, Earl Van Dorn's Confederate Cavalry Army there in Spring Hill. And that's a whole other set of stories there. It's the Van Dorn rabbit hole, but don't, don't fret, dear listener. We will have an episode on Earl Van Dorn and all of those interesting, juicy details uh, coming at a later soon. date. <laughs> so he's back home for a bit. Um, part of the turmoil in this area ha- having to do with the Emancipation Proclamation is slaves are leaving. And technically that proclamation did not apply to Tennessee. We're already under federal occupation. But uh, tell that to the slaves. I mean, they know that all they have to do is get to the United States Army and they're free. And so there are several cherished slaves that run away. A couple of them are brothers, Josh and Philip become a part of the 12th United States Colored Troops that are primarily garrison troops for Nashville, but the 12th is conspicuous in the Battle of Nashville Mm -hmm. in December of 1864. Another cherished slave, Jerry, had gone away with Nat as Mm -hmm. a camp slave Uh, because a guy like Nat's not going to do his own cooking or his own laundry. 
He took a whole wagon load, in fact, of supplies with him when he went off to war just so he could be nice and comfy. And it's Jerry's job to take care of that, but eventually Jerry's done, and he runs away as well, joins 111th USCT, um, captured at the Battle of Self for Trestle. But, so the fabric of their world is beginning to come apart. Mm-hmm. You know, Even though some things are familiar, some things are becoming very unfamiliar as well. Mm-hmm. And then Nat is... Uh, He's a commissary in the quartermaster's department. So it's, it's a pretty thankless task mm-hmm. going around to farms and plantations and asking people to give up whatever food they have to bring back to the Confederate Army. And it's in that capacity that he's captured and he is sent back to prison, mm-hmm. this time Camp Chase, Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio. And it's really from there that he's going to watch the war from the sidelines. And what's really interesting about some of the letters that we get later on from Nat is that he's expressing this great amount of worry about mm-hmm. Susan and about his sister, Nancy, and about his children because he stops getting letters for an increment of time from both his wife and his sister. And he starts to fear something terrible has happened. But what he learns later is that their letters were so detailed and mm-hmm. what they were telling him about the war and about military operations that the censors and the government were just throwing the letters off to the side oh, because there was too much information. And I always thought it was it was interesting about some of the letters is that he calls Jenny my my confidant back home, uh-huh. and he uses her to get all the information. And basically, in one of the letters, he says, "Tell your mother and tell your aunt to stop writing me about the war. I read enough about it. I I would like to hear from them though." And and then it's the usual: Are yeah. they okay? Is everything all right? How is the house? How is this? How is that? And those are, I I guess it's interesting to see how he could be so far removed from it, and yet. The one thing that's on his mind is the safety and the security of his family. Mm -hmm. And then the second part of it is the war for him. Mm -hmm. Well, and he has a bit to be concerned about uh, in 1864 because there's an incident that happens in Spring Hill that's going to affect his family directly. There's a man in Spring in Murray County by the name of William Briggs, and he had married into a unionist family. He's he has apparently been gathering information to help the United States Army, and it, he's been found out. And so he's traveling at one point with a column of federal soldiers, and a man from Hickman County rides up and shoots him and then rides away. And the U.S. Army, of course, is concerned about this because if they can shoot William Briggs, anybody's a good they, could, they could start targeting anybody. And so they want to find the culprit. And nobody's giving them information. And so they decide the best way to deal with that is start arresting people that are important. Because if they do, then somebody's going to turn over some information. And so they arrest Nat's brothers, Martin and John. And they come to Ripa Villa and arrest Thomas, Nat and Susan's son, son, the oldest son. And they're um, held for a few weeks and then eventually released. But, of course, Nat's very concerned about that. And, And one of the potentially direct results of that is that Thomas ends up joining the Confederate Army, uh, moving away with Nathan Bedford Forrest. He's a part of, we know that he uh, eventually surrenders with Forrest. Mm-hmm. He's listed in the escort by, by George Cowan. By George Cowan, so we know he's a part of that, which means this is the, every possibility that, you know, when they come through there in November, he's mm-hmm. he's with them. So Nat has plenty to worry about. And of course, the House will see, you know, the Confederate Army camp just to the north of it, but then Certainly right after it, who's the one source that we have for the alleged breakfast meeting at Ripavilla? It's the word of mouth, the oral tradition that Susan shares tells us that story. 
And then, of course, from that point forward, it's like playing a long game of telephone, you know, mm -hmm. from 160, 170 years ago. And then Nat comes home by June of 1865. And he walks back into a completely different world. The war has ended. The nation has been preserved. Slavery is abolished or will be very shortly abolished. And Nat comes home into something that is basically unrecognizable for the man that left behind in 1861, 1,000-acre farm, big, massive, beautiful house, all this stuff. He comes home. He's got a charge of treason filed against him. He's lost his citizenship. He doesn't even own his property anymore. Right, the Freedmen's Bureau has taken over his farm. And the Bureau of Freedmen Abandoned Lands, of course, was created in the last year of, war, of the war to look after newly freed slaves and poor whites, but also to make sure farms like Nat's are being farmed. Because if nothing's being raised, people are going to start growing hungry. And so... Mm -hmm. They've employed uh, newly freed slaves to work there on the farm, but Nat, of course, wants control of his farm back, has to do a couple of things to get that back. He has to sign an oath of loyalty. He, because he was an officer, he has to get amnesty from the president. And that, of course, all takes place. And by the end of 1865, he has his farm back. Going to make some changes in the way he farms it, though. Cotton prices are dropping, and he gives that up almost completely, switches over to winter wheat. Easier crop and, and such. And then that's really... That's how he navigates the, the family changes, through yeah. it is is just constantly improvising, constantly thinking of another way to do it. And uh, one thing that we've, we've learned about Nat is that when it comes to farming, there's not a part of it that he doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. He is a nonstop student of learning how to farm better. Right. He's an early adopter of any innovation that he comes yeah. across. He wants to he wants to incorporate that and make things more productive. And. Of course, uh, by 1886, he hires a man named Sam Bond, who will come into uh, the story as the, the farm manager, and he will actually operate and over, oversee the operation of Ripavilla's farming. And he'll also employ, by 1886, some 15 men and women uh, as house servants and as field hands. Uh, and, and there's so many striking different images because there's, this, there's the one series of pictures that it, I think we've reasoned that it's all on a christening day for one of Sally's youngest. Mm -hmm. And you can see uh, Nat and Susan sitting side by side with Susan and or rather with Sally and her husband, J.M. Moore, uh, three children seated across. And then in the middle is a woman named Ann Chandler holding Sally's newest child just recently christened in this mm -hmm. picture. And it's such an, an image that I think it, people gravitate towards it because mm -hmm. they see the family, but in the middle they also see Anne, and so there's such a, a story to tell about her as right. well. And in the census, for example, so many of the many of the enslaved who are living on the farm are living on the back part of the farm mm -hmm. in what becomes known as the chair's quarters, mm -hmm. um, and so it's a it's a whole community that develops back there. But Anne and her husband on the census are actually listed as residents of the household. Mm -hmm. Um, which may very well mean they're living above the kitchen, but they're enough of an integral part of the family operation that they are actually listed as members of the household, not as living in chairs' quarters. And things remain very much stable, I think, for the shares right up until 1893. Of course, Susan passes away the following year. Nat sells the house to William, and then it seems like that chapter for Nat is kind of closed, owning mm -hmm. the house and living there with his family. I think he's done with that. And this is where I just love this part of the story. He just starts to travel. Mm -hmm. He starts to go and see things. And 
the man loves Florida. Mm-hmm. I, I say it all the time. I think he is the original Tennessean that goes down to Florida for the winter, mm-hmm. uh, gets down there and just has the time of his life, becomes a fisherman, goes out to Arkansas, visits property out there. And I think really kind of revels in those years. And then yeah, by and 1910, he's back in the back in the house again. He still makes uh, trips out to Waco. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll go out and spend several months a year with Jenny out in Waco. That's where she had settled with her kids, and that's where he is in 1914 when he dies. Mm-hmm. And then Sally's husband, J.M. Moore, will go down to Waco and retrieve the body, bring him back up, and Nat will be buried in Roseville Cemetery alongside his wife and his children. And I think the people that come to the site, they go, oh, why isn't Nat buried in the family cemetery? I, th- I think that it... That was Nat the Third's. That was his father's land. That was his father's cemetery. That was his father's story. Mm. I think Nat carved out, like like you said his about that, his, his own legend mm-hmm. um, and saw his own burial there in, in Columbia. And then the house kind of falls into private hands after that, stays that way until Saturn Corporation steps in. Then by 2003, City of Spring Hill, then 2021, we took over management, but the one thing about this family is that there's always something new to learn about them. Mm-hmm. There's always something interesting. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of joke about it, uh, is that we might be saying something on tour and then six weeks later we find out it's been uh, a, yeah, it's, it's been a, new. Con- this is it's different. a continual <laughs> process of discovery. It's been exciting because there yeah. seems to always be news. Yeah. And, uh, and you see, you see like an email that comes in from the boss and it says Ripavilla updates. Oh boy, what part of my tour is wrong <laughs> I now? Have to change. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I love, I love that we're learning so much about them. Yeah. And when that's nothing we, stagnant, it's not stagnant. Right. It's constantly evolving, which is right. exciting. And you feel like here and you feel like maybe at Carter house, maybe there's some stories that are just so entrenched and that's just, well, that's just how we're always going to tell it at Ripavilla. You're watching this ebb and flow of things that, Maybe we, we're not finding anything for a long time, then all of a sudden we'll stumble upon a newspaper article or some more letters, and then it just explodes from that yeah. point forward. Uh, as usual, book recommendation for you, our listeners, and if you wanted to learn a little bit more about Nat's wartime service, is to go and check out a book called From the Flame of Battle to the Fiery Cross, and it is a regimental history, more of a social history, I think, on the 3rd Tennessee Infantry. It tells you a little bit about the men that fought in the regiment and then some of their backgrounds, but then also about the battles that they faced and the struggles that they faced because this is a regiment of soldiers that will fight from the very beginning of the war right up until the very, very bitter end in April of 1865. So follow along for more on that. And if you want to learn more about the Sheriff's family, you can go on YouTube, check out a video that's been produced there by Boft Films. Uh, historian and CEO Eric Jacobson takes us through a little bit of a history of the family. And then if you want to know even more about the family, come down to Ripavilla and take a tour with us. Uh, Absolutely. It's it's a it's an incredible tour. I think um, again, we're not supposed to have favorites, but it is one of the it's the highlight of the week to be able to go down to Ripavilla and talk about that family and their story. We are just two days removed from our first big summer concert, and it was we we were a little scared there for a minute because it looked like we were going to end up with thunderstorms, but they passed us by, and we had a really good time. It turned out to be an, a lovely evening, and we've got another one in the queue coming up on July the thirtieth. Mixed Tape will be here with us. They are an '80s cover band. They played here last year, and it was a whole lot of fun. So you guys come out and join us. You can have a great evening and support. 
historic preservation here in Franklin. Awesome. And for all of our listeners, thank you again for checking it out with us this week. And we will look forward to bringing uh, some more uh, content coming your way pretty soon, coming down the pike. Lots of episodes lined up all the way through November. Talk about some planning there. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good coordination, yeah, gotta say. Nice. Uh, but uh, thank you for listening. Go on to uh, Apple Podcast or wherever you're hearing your podcast. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think about the show and get in touch with us however you can. Until then, we'll see you on the battlefields.